Welcome to Bickering Peaks with Aiden and Lindsay. I am Aiden, one half of the Bickering Peaks. Uh, one peak of the Bickering. <laughs> no way. Yes, yes. One of the peaks that bickers is me, Aiden Hales. You are? Lindsay Stamuse. The other peak. The other peak. Um, this is Bickering Peaks. Yes, obviously. The Bickering uh, has started early, <laughs> clearly. Which is good. Um, we've had many requests for more bickering, so we're yeah. happy to oblige. Um, and we are here today, though, to talk about the uh, early short films yes. of David Lynch. Starting um, in the in 1966 with his, well, 66, 67, with uh, six men getting sick and going all the way up to... The Amputee in 1974. Yeah. So all of his pre-Eraserhead yes. short films yes. are the, the ones that we're covering. There are a few more, uh, I think on Twitter... Uh, I'd originally posted about going all the way to the 80s, but the 80s short films are a little different and they, you know, they're post-Dune. Yeah, it's, they're it's kind of different. their own thing. Yeah. So so we're going to look at that separately uh, as we kind of work our way chronologically through the careers of David Lynch and Mark Frost. Um, but yeah, this one works as well because these lead all up to Eraserhead. Yeah. Um, he's working on Eraserhead when, by the time we get to the last yeah. uh, film, he's kind of already brought some of the crew together that will be some of the David Lynch mainstays for the rest forward. of uh yeah yeah the rest of his career really well yeah pretty much yeah. so um so this is kind of the first time that we've done something on the show here not directly related to Twin Peaks mm-hmm. uh we well, did on, on the, the air. air but I mean that was kind of that was still Mark Frost and David Lynch so this is this is pure Lynch right now mm-hmm. um and it, it's kind of this is our tangent for the next I don't know how many weeks we've we've got this. Almost Aiden's a, got about it about a year almost yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. So if you don't like us now, <laughs> you probably won't like <laughs> us in a year. <laughs> I don't know. Wait what a real real in there. That's some great advertising there, Lindsay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So so like I said, we're starting through um, the the individual careers of David Lynch and Mark Frost. Yeah. Um, up to Twin Peaks, and then beyond that, what they've been doing since then, mm-hmm. leading up to the current season. Yeah, and obviously David Lynch, primarily uh, his work as director. Yes. Uh, we're going to be doing all of his films that he directed, even yeah. the ones he didn't write. Yeah. Um, Mark Frost, mostly a writer. So we're going to be, there's a lot of his early work is scripts for television, so yeah. we're going to be focusing on that. Um, but yeah, this this stuff is the early works of David Lynch, which is, a lot of it is just directing. There's not much of a well, script and, and, for and a lot of these And artistry in a lot of ways. Like yeah. if, if we want to talk about Six Men Getting Sick, I mean, that was an installation, an art installation mm-hmm. piece that um, that works as a short film, interestingly enough, yeah, I think. Yeah, in a weird and, way. But, but would be a totally different experience to see it in situ, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it speaks to his... his uh, his earlier career before this as a visual artist and yeah. the, thing, the, the things that he's kept doing throughout his life yeah. with painting and Sculpture photography and, yeah. and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess let's just yeah, jump a, in. Let's yeah, talk about place the... place to start. Yeah, let's, let's go over the films first and then uh, we can, yeah, start giving some thoughts and how they all connect and connect to his, his larger oeuvre. So, like we said, the first film that we looked at was Six Men Getting Sick Six Times. From 1966, it premiered in, or it was conceived in 1966, and then was uh, actually premiered Displayed, in 1967. Yeah, um, so this, we saw it on the Criterion Collection DVD mm-hmm. that was released in 2002. So, uh, which is great because it's uh, beautifully 
remastered, I guess. It looks great and it sounds awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's about, um, I don't know, how long? Six minutes or so? You know, it's a, what is it? A, yeah, Five minutes, well, no, it's, like it's, I thought it was six men getting sick six times and each one was 10 seconds. No, it's longer it was than 20 seconds. seconds or something like that. So it's not very long. It's it's a couple minutes at the most. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is, it's very interesting. It is very interesting. Uh, yeah, next we have uh, Sailing with Bushnell Keeler, which is a home movie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could coin it. It is literally just about Bushnell Keeler, who is one of David Lynch's best friends. He changed David Lynch's life, as Lynch explained in uh, the Criterion Collection, although this film wasn't actually in there. We found this yeah. one on YouTube, uh, so we'll probably link to it as well. Uh, and it's literally just Bushnell Keeler, one of his friends, and David Lynch on a boat for a day. Yeah. Um, and yet it is still the most David Lynch <laughs> Home movie, Video, yeah. yeah, that you can never imagine, and uh, it it's amazing how this is like beyond the uh, the art installation piece. This is his first kind of live action thing. Yeah. There's no animation or anything like it, and it feels like David Lynch, and that is quite a feat. Yes. Uh, next, we had the absurd encounter with fear from 1967, which is. Interesting in and of itself. It uh, another kind of surrealist. Yeah, just a couple of characters in a field and some, you know, some daisies. Ominous, well, daisies or dandelions or something. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. uh, ominous, kind of ominous music, music playing. Yeah. It has all the hallmarks of of yeah. what you would count as as Lynchian film or Lynchian mm-hmm. cinema, and um, is just again an interesting experience, something yeah. to watch and, and be. Yes, enthralled, yeah, enthralled by, yeah, enthralled it's true. By. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's also the fictitious Anison commercial, which is my personal favorite of these short films. And it's exactly what it says. It's it's uh, Anison commercial about this guy who has a headache, and then he takes Anison, <laughs> and then he's okay. Yeah. And but it is again, yeah, it's got the music and the the crazy like cuts and like just diving into this character's skull, so you can feel the migraine. You yeah. you described it as it, it's it almost looks like how a migraine feels. That's yeah. how my migraines feel anyway. So yeah. watching it, it struck a very visceral chord for me. Um, but yeah, and I I think I wrote on our Twitter and Facebook that David Lynch should direct all commercials <laughs> because he was so effective well, it, <laughs> in getting across what what needs to get across yeah and, and we can talk about this more later but i was just amazed at you know there's this commercial under undercurrent to this i mean right. he picked a, a commercial to, yeah. to do like it you know he's coming from an art house world where you know it's kind of anti-materialist especially in the 60s like yeah. this is the start of you know postmodernism. um but he's kind of latched onto it and said no no we're not in late capitalism i'm gonna i'm gonna grab this capitalism thing by the reins and, and take it over and, and sell painkillers sell painkillers and later on effectively very effectively and, and later on yeah with his perfume commercials and and things he's, that well he's done all sorts and of car commercials, car commercials and, and all sorts um, of commercials playstation yeah like the some weird things that that you would not expect from an auteur of the the likes of david lynch but he's He's gone done. all out yeah. Georgia coffee yeah right I yeah. Mean, oh yeah exactly uh but he brings his own unique style to that and it, it the seeds are all here yes yeah. uh, early early days commercial. I mean this is all within one year because yeah. that was also 1967 yeah. these are all basically one year he's he's kind of set out everything so yeah. we'll talk about it next is the alphabet which is very very famous um infamous almost I think yeah. a lot of people who watch it uh this is the beginning of like Lynchian nightmare stuff and it and it actually is interesting that it that it it kind of had its roots in a nightmare mm-hmm. kind of nightmare story that his wife at the time Peggy told him about and uh it's it's just literally the alphabet being recited 
yeah. uh, a couple of times. Yeah, first visually and then... And then orally yeah. uh, by a, a very frightening-looking uh, person. Lynch. Played by Peggy Lynch. <laughs> but um, yeah. kind of... I don't know if it's stop motion or if it's just a Yeah, just a quick cuts stuttering. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... Very disturbing. Very disturbing, but also just perfectly... Lynchian. Yeah. You watch it and you're like, yep, that, that's definitely a David Lynch joint. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, then we have The Grandmother, which is the longest of these pieces. Uh, it's from 1970, and it was based on a grant he got from uh, the American Film Institute. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, he got $5,000 based on a, a kind of a script treatment that he did for yep. The Grandmother, and based on his work with The Alphabet, alphabet. he was able to get this $5,000 to make The Grandmother, which is, yeah, about 20 minutes, a little over 20 minutes long, I thought. Yeah, maybe a little bit longer. I thought yeah. it was 23 or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 short, but it you know it tells a whole story. Yeah. It is literally a short film, um, and it's very interesting. It's basically, we, we were trying to sum it up in, in a couple sentences. It's basically about this boy who has a very unhappy household with a mother and father who treat him poorly. Um, and I would say they abuse They him. abuse they, him, It's yeah, an abusive do. relationship. There. And to uh, handle this psychologically, he grows a grandmother out yeah. of a seed that he finds in the attic, I guess. Which um, is interesting because it almost seems like he was grown as well. If you yes. if you read the film that way, everybody is grown this way. They come yes. from the earth. It's, it's an interesting thematic thing that's going on here that we all come from the earth, but... But there's bad seeds, and I, you know, yeah. if you want to, if you want to get into like a, a real deep textual reading of this, which we probably won't get into. Well, we can, we'll do it a little well, bit because yeah. it is the longest piece, and I feel like it did have the most uh, clues of it. what, yeah, well, yeah, and the most clues as to what's coming up in in his yeah. future works. Yeah, um, and it's so we can comment on that. And finally, uh, finally, we have the amputee, which is also one of my favorites, but has such an innocuous beginning. It was literally just um, David Lynch asking if he could test out film stock for the... Uh, well, video stock. Video stock. Yeah. Well, film and video. No, it, It's film stock. Is it? There I were two different kinds of No, they of were going stock. to video, and he was upset about that, <clears throat> I thought. No, it said two versions okay. existed. I'm misunderstood, two. as usual. Yeah. Um, so he, he did the same film twice. It's slightly different lengths, but um, using the two different film stocks, the exact same um, everything else, Footage, more yeah. or less. Yeah. Uh, with Catherine Coulson Mm -hmm. playing an amputee who is writing a letter and narrating the letter internally as a nurse cleans her stumps. Yeah. In uh, and they're just oozing grotesque stuff. Yeah, like pulling out of these, like totally not realistic. But again, it's that that mashup of the very mundane. Yeah. And the this very of. macabre, you know, grotesque, grotesque yeah. stuff yeah. that we've come to associate with David Lynch, that he really, uh, the, like we said, the seeds are here. Mm-hmm. So, so that takes it's literally seven years that we're looking at, or eight years. Yeah, really, yeah. And, um, but basically, yeah, the roots are all here. Everything is there. And uh, so when, by the time we we get to Eraserhead head in the future, it, like if you'd watched these seven. It's seven, right? Uh, these short films. Yeah. Uh, if you went into Eraserhead having watched them, you would be like, "Yes, this is this is exactly what I expected a feature yeah. length uh, David Lynch production to be." So, that's that's really quite an amazing feat because uh, Eraserhead is very distinctive. Like mm-hmm. if, if you know, as a as a feature length, he did an amazing job of capturing that this same feeling that he had in all these pieces and pulling it out into an eighty-five minute long. Yeah. Uh, 
95 or however long it is, which is, you know, can be a challenge at times. Right. Uh, so I, I guess, I mean, if you want to start with some of the visual cues that that come up in these early films that you we later come to associate very strongly with David Lynch. I mean, you've got black and white being used quite mm-hmm. often. Um, well, and the use of color generally or, or, is or yeah, not like, color. Not like, color, I think, is yeah. more appropriate because even in, in the ones that are in color, it's kind of... And part of that is is just the time yeah, that it was. Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. But it, it's a very washed out color yeah. palette, right? Yeah. There's nothing really bright um, with a few exceptions. Like in The Grandmother... Um, the, the little boy, his whole situation is compounded. It's it's the source of his suffering, but it's also a symptom of mm-hmm. his suffering or, or um, caused by his suffering. And, and he's wetting the bed. And there's this bright orange, almost reddish like orange a, yeah. stain. Because when I first watched it, I thought it was blood on the yeah. on the bed clothes. But but it's um it's, it's he's wetting the bed, yeah. and and this is probably out of fear or. Uh, stress situations that cause this. Father beating up and rubbing his face into it like right, a dog. Like a dog, like, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's interesting, and that's th- there's that, and there's I think a few other instances of, of color being used in that film, but yeah. it's it's for very specific purposes, right? To underline um, that emotion that's mm-hmm. coming through. Uh, other than that, it's all these and, and beautiful black and whites too, yeah. like very warm. Mm-hmm. Even when he's testing film stock, it's not like it's technical. Yeah. There's there's still like a an, an artist's eye behind it, which yeah. is yeah yeah which it's is true. really cool. Yeah, it's very interesting. And even the his use of white and black I, again, grandmother's probably the the clearest example of that. But it was um, the blacks are vanta black. <laughs> like even yeah. back then, like there's a lot of shots of like doors opening and closing where it's so dark that and the door is so dark that you, you the character entering and exiting out the door is kind of obscure because there's so much blackness there and they're mm-hmm. wearing all black, especially the little boy. Um, but until you see the white, white, white of their faces, right. it's almost like a world of blackness and these these individual people are the the, the echoes of light, you know, yeah. that, that appear, especially in the grandmother too. Yeah. Um, like the character of the grandmother, she's a very pale faced and she's the only one who sets boy at the end, uh, peers out in broad daylight right. in kind exactly. of a happy kind of tone. Um, so it's already... He's got this very strong aesthetic of, you know, the darkness of the domestic scene, um, especially there. The alphabet does it too. Yeah. You know, the, she's I alone love, in I bed. love the scene in the alphabet where where the girl is reciting the alphabet and she's in the lower right hand corner. And the whole rest of the screen, like I'm saying 80%, 85% of the yeah. screen is pitch black. Just complete black. And she's stark white. Like there's star, stark white clothes. Yeah. The bedding is stark white. Um, the makeup and everything, yeah. Yeah, but everything else is pitch black, mm-hmm. and and that's, it's a it's it's an interesting take. It's something as a as a an artist you would do that naturally to draw your attention to it, mm-hmm. but when you have um, a moving picture, which is, you know, David Lynch just wanting his paintings to move. That's that as we said yeah, before. This was his yeah. the the impetus for all of this. Mm-hmm. It starts to weave kind of a I guess a thematic it, or it takes on a thematic tone to mm-hmm. to the whole thing because yeah. um, and, and that's what you were saying is that it's um, like this oppressive home life or this oppressive darkness or you know it's 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 not all good like yeah, the darkness yeah. is not good yeah and and I mean it's kind of it, we know that it's it's archetypal it's something that we 
were afraid of the dark. It's mm-hmm. the darkness outside the cave as early humans were afraid of the dark. But yeah. um, but it's a different kind of fear in, in a David Lynch. It's, n- it's not like darkness in in a horror film or something like that. Yeah, yeah, there, exactly. It's different it's, somehow. It's not scary per se. It's just the implication of, of the fear of being there. Like, yeah. it, it does, it's not something that's going to actually scare you. Mm-hmm. It's just the possibility of fear. Yeah. Um, and that that's a really powerful thing that he he taps into. Um, uh, on a slightly different path, but uh, very kind of closely connected to another Lynch trope is the fact that most of... Uh, especially the super short ones like the absurd encounter with fear and sailing with Bushnell Keeler and all those things. It's all about editing. Mm. Like, uh, especially I found this with sailing with Bushnell Keeler. It, everyone's very happy. It's a very smiley thing. Yeah. Well, um, it's a home video. They're out sailing. Yeah, They're exactly. having fun. There's a dog. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the way he cuts it is that it becomes a, an ominous ethereal whooshing moment of, you know, sailing with Bushnell Keeler's perhaps there is a darkness there that we are not uh looking at and and it's not literally we're not no, saying that actually no but it, but it feels like it that. feels yeah. like it and that's that's an incredible impression to get from footage that you know when i can just imagine him there you know cranking his handheld camera and it's just you know everyone's having a good time so is david lynch he's a he's in this in that one he's actually appears yeah, on a camera. few frames yeah a few frames worth um and he's smiling and happy too yeah. um but it has this intense macabre feel to it when when we see the final product yeah um and that's just obviously something that <laughs> lynch has excelled at yeah um and he did it here effortlessly it feels like yeah it's like just these like, are his the first second goes out out the gate and uh and he's already established this editing style i think which mm-hmm. is um it's interesting and and the other the other thing related to the cuts and we talked about this earlier whether it's stop motion or just frenetically cut to remove frames or something like that to make it look like stop motion. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the alphabet and certain scenes in the grandmother. Um, it feels like a nightmare. It feels like, well, at least nightmares that I've had. I can't speak to everybody's nightmares, but it, it, it reminds, it reminded me of visuals that I've had in, in dreams and nightmares where things are kind of stuttering and they don't move naturally. And that contributes to this otherworldliness that, is present in 1967, 68, 69, 70, um, and which really come into play in, you know, later, well, Eraserhead, Twin Peaks. Yeah, Twin Peaks. Uh, Lost Highway, Lost Highway for sure, yeah. Inland Empire. Yeah. Um, this, this, there's no flow of things no, progressing. That's, yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't progress it's, naturally. It, yeah. Even when it is progressing naturally, the movements are not natural. Yeah. And that, so it adds this artificiality yeah, to, the, and, to everything that's going on. Yeah. And it's a frightening artifice that, that you just, mm-hmm. you don't trust your eyes and you don't trust the thing that you're looking at yeah. either. Yeah. yeah, the grandmother starts that way. Yeah. It starts because, it, well, it doesn't start off quite that way. And we can talk about the animations mm-hmm. in a second. But uh, when they, so these the mother and father and the boy come up out of the ground. Right. And then they start doing the stop motion thing in the ground. Yeah. They're on the, the leaves or they're outdoors somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very unsettling and you're like and it's it's mixed with the animation in such a way that you understand what the plot is that mm-hmm. this is a family and there's a boy that's coming out of these two other plants that are yeah. coming out of the ground um but then when you see them moving in that way it's very very um just unsettling like you don't know uh are they real are they human like are they plants like what what are they uh and that's that's a great kind of specific 
kind of feeling that you get out of this uh, that most uh, most films do not have something like that. Well, and it's it goes back to this idea of the uncanny valley, right? Where things look humanoid, but mm-hmm. they're not quite, mm-hmm. and and it's just enough off that you you get this eerie, almost revolting reaction, or you have this revolting reaction to it because because it looks like it's a human, but because it doesn't act or behave quite like you expect it to Mm -hmm. it takes on like you said otherworldly qualities so um and again yeah something that's present from the very beginning and it's interesting i i I don't know enough about david lynch's visual artistry before this before 1967 like what what was he doing in in art school in art school and yeah but like were these things that were that were interesting to him and how did he how did he portray them on in in still form because it's so effective as a visual it's it's so effective as a moving image as a film technique yeah Yeah. that that i wonder how it's translated because i'm sure these things come across in his i mean we're going to be talking about it i'm sure as we go along Mm -hmm. um and we get later into his career i'm sure we could probably talk about his his art generally yeah exactly yeah i mean um, to kind of look at that and study it from from uh Art historical perspective. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's even just on Twitter, there's there's there was a great account. I can't remember, maybe you'd know, uh, but they were comparing, you know, David Lynch screen cap from one of his films, especially lately, Twin Peaks, and yeah. then the classical artists like uh, the Francis Bacon and yeah. uh, who's there was another one. Uh, there was a surrealist. I can't remember the name of, but it was like almost identical, right? Like you can right. see where Lynch had taken the art world, uh, you know, visual. And turned it into a film, a sure. moving picture, just like he'd always said. Um, and yeah, it's it's really amazing. And he's doing it here too. But yeah. here it feels like um, he's a little limited by technology um, in some ways. I mean, he obviously loves film and he loves, like, part of the Criterion Collection is him talking about, you know. He, he introduces first, every, every, yeah, every every short film. Yeah. And uh, there was, after Six Men Getting Sick was the story of him buying his first camera yeah. that he used. Um, and he was just, you know, he was in love with this thing. He scoped it out. He goes to buy it and then they won't put it on hold for him. So he rushes there the next day and buys it and all this yeah, stuff. He still has the receipt. He, he knows receipt. how much it yeah, costs. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, a, it's an adorable story. And he obviously, you know, to some expect, maybe fetishizes is not probably the right word, but he has a really deep respect for, uh, you know, the, the film tech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but he also kind of subverts that by doing a lot of animation. Yeah, and that was something interesting that we were talking about um, independently of one another. Because we watched these together, but we didn't talk about it until no. a couple of nights later. And we both recognized, uh, especially in um, well, in the alphabet and then in some of the stuff that was in um, The Grandmother, too, yeah. that there's a very, and, and it's the right time frame for this, but there's a very Python-esque, like Terry Gilliam mm-hmm. type of animation, animated quality that's going on there and I guess I, I realized when I was saying that that Terry Gilliam owes a lot to the work of David Lynch I think they, they come at their films and, and their works in this, from the same kind of yeah. offbeat you know surrealist yeah. kind of mashup of you know, I mean Terry Gilliam is, is, is more into the humor part of it I think yeah, than yeah. David Lynch but but I think that they speak the same language in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and I I don't have the answer to this but I would be very interested in, in finding out if David Lynch was a fan of Terry Gilliam's mm-hmm. artwork or vice versa, vice versa how much yeah yeah because I mean 
I mean, David Lynch probably wasn't well known enough until after Eraserhead, by which point Monty Python had yes, ceased exactly. to to film except for the movies. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny almost that they they were probably working in totally separate areas. Yeah. But they came up with a very similar approach to how yeah. animation can work and how it works with surrealist cinema and and with live action mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the whole cinematic package, yeah. they both found a way to incorporate yeah terry gilliam's doing this in in the uk and david lynch is doing it in philadelphia but uh yeah so it's 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 really cool to look at that and just to see the the threads that are coming through and i mean it's also the 60s there's a lot of experimentation that's going Mm -hmm. on in all areas so i think it's just (laughs) the perfect storm the perfect time for this you're saying david lynch was doing acid when he was that's not at all what i was saying (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no it's it's true and uh how it relates back to uh i mean Lynch really didn't use a lot of special effects throughout most of it. I mean, Dune obviously was a sci-fi epic, right? So he, he used some. Well, um, and you had to because you're responding to films like Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Wars, Star Wars. and Star Trek, Star Trek to an extent, I guess. Then, I yeah. Think. yeah, but Star Wars yeah. was the big one that yeah. everybody yeah. was trying to oh, ape yeah. at that point, yeah. right? They, they so. nailed it, right? Uh, but I mean. Uh, in the return, you know, we were all up in arms about, like, well, not up in arms, but questioning how's he going to use CGI, and he did use it in very specific ways. But the the CGI was was in a lot of places very low tech. It yeah. didn't look like it belonged in a 2017 film. But sometimes it did. Sometimes it did, and sometimes it didn't. So it was a very deliberate choice exactly. that he was making. And I think he continues to do that in, especially uh, Eraserhead. But on, in the grandmother, there is a prop, the prop of the tree. Yeah. There's probably five or six of them because the tree. Grew grows as the boy waters his grandmother uh the tree grows and grows and it looks incredible like it is a, an amazingly uh, he he obviously sculpted it himself or built it himself just like he did with the eraser head baby yeah. um but it's really like engaging to just look at yeah. because there's there's spikes it looks it's kind of like, grotesque and but there's and gooey and, and yeah. liquid coming out of it, it in places at, at certain times and yeah. and uh yeah it definitely has a I don't even know a quality. Yeah, it does, and and so he has that as as a special effect. It's something not real. Yeah. Um, and then you think of uh, the return, the frigate looks very realistic. It's yeah. got you know fluttering wings. It's it was very well done CGI. Yeah. And then they have some of the not so good like CGI. Like the 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 first red room scene where the curtains yeah. fly up fly and you. It's kind of like. Mm, it's like nineteen ninety five reboot yeah. graphics. <laughs> reboot. That's a deep cut for all our Canadian listeners. <laughs> reboot. Who watched yeah. YTV in the yeah, mid nineties? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then he did the same thing with animation here. So yeah. it's, I feel like he's always kind of watching this made me realize like he's always kind of had two approaches to otherworldly stuff. The stuff that's really supposed to draw you in and think, okay, this is real now, and then the stuff that's supposed to you know, make you feel artificial. Make it feel artificial, exactly. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the stuttering effects. Mm-hmm. He's he's not trying to replicate reality. And when he's not trying to replicate reality, it's for a reason. I think that goes without saying, right? Mm-hmm. That it's it's he's drawing your attention to the artifice of something or mm-hmm. of that situation. So that and whether it, in later on it would be we'd start describing it as this is a dream or this is dream like yeah it's not as easy to 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 say that because i mean the fictitious anison commercial it's there's no point in that where you're like oh this is a dream even Mm. though those effects are being used it's it's just a but that's partly because it's a 30 second or 40 second long commercial so it's not yeah they don't have time to build that but yeah yeah, yeah, but but that that happens in in and maybe it's just the way that we start to interpret his films Mm -hmm. as being you know dreamscapes yeah, dream, to exactly. a certain extent yeah. but 
it's present here and to a in a much I guess proportionally it's in a much larger percentage of mm-hmm. of the films yeah but we're not yet ready to say this is like I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the grandmother's all a dream it's just all existing at once it's yeah. kind of fascinating that way it, no that's that's a good way of putting it because it yeah the whole thing feels surreal because you know obviously you can't grow a grandmother but mm-hmm. uh in that world that he creates there are still pockets of 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 uh honesty in there and i feel like the grandmother's growth and appearance is supposed to be something that's that's meaningful for the boy so sure. it's filmed in a very realistic way whereas you know the the bad things that are happening with mostly around his parents beating him up and everything mm-hmm. uh feels kind of uh, fake i mean sometimes it gets really real for him and, and that's really painful but uh the surreal parts of it are more around or not not the surreal sorry the artificial oh, okay. the artificial pieces of animation and stuff like that are around the parts that the boy can't process yeah and i think that's um to segue kind of into the sound design mm-hmm. um one thing that i noticed about the grandmother is that uh his parents don't have any intelligible words nobody really does but they're the only ones who have um repetitive a word. Yeah. Any words. Yeah. They have a couple. Like his, I'm assuming it's his name is a, is a sound. Yeah. And then there's other sounds that maybe are like barking sounds or something. Mm-hmm. They're not humanistic. They're not intelligible. And they only happen when they're directed at the boy or around the boy. Mm-hmm. So is it him not understanding what they're saying? Is that an interpreted, him interpreting what his parents are saying in a way that, that maybe makes sense to him mm-hmm. and he processes it through his fear. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's open to interpretation, I think, yeah. but, um, but it's interesting that, that sound comes into play at that point for, to, yeah. to represent the communication, I guess, that he and his parents have yeah. or lack of or communication. Lack of, yeah, really. yeah. No, that's a very good point. Um, so I do want to get into sound. Just yeah. one quick thing about the visual left uh, was Six Men Getting Sick yeah. as the first one. Also very, it's all animation. I mean, there's, so it was a sculpture of three heads. Yes. Um, and then there's three other men who get animated um, and they all, they get sick. Well, let's, let's describe it a little bit better okay. than that because, well, well it is, <laughs> as an art installation, it's, it's hard to talk about it without actually seeing it because it's yeah. got three actual, like you said, three actual physical sculptures, but then the rest was a film projection onto that canvas. Yeah. And the other three heads come up as film yeah, projection. They get, yeah, they get animated. And then the rest of what happens around them is all animated. animated yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's mixed media, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. It's I very, guess you would, yeah. Um, well, it's an installation art. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, that and yeah. somehow works as a film. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. But, but it was the first thing of fire appearing, which I yeah. thought was interesting. There's a, a section uh, at, right before they throw up, I think mm-hmm. one of the heads uh, of one of the men kind of lights up like a sparkler almost. Okay. And then there's some fire off to the right-hand side yes. that kind of trails across the screen. Um, and obviously, as Twin Peaks fans, we, we will notice uh, <laughs> instances of fire walking with us. Uh, and so I thought that was interesting because he uses that right before they throw up. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like this is the fire that sets it off, and they, yeah. it's it's again it's just an interesting little visual cue of um, what's coming. And again, it was from the, literally the very first time he could animate it, something. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so getting back to sound design, yes, let's talk about that. Tackle that. Uh, 
lots of intense ethereal whooshing. I think oh, we could yes. call it call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting at the very beginning, it's it's all sirens. I think that's mm-hmm. um, less intense. Well, very intense, less ethereal. Yes, let's call it that. Yes, but it is very. It's very. Yeah, it's visceral. It's very. You know, in the moment, it just draws you in. There's this all of a sudden the siren, yeah. and then people are getting sick. And yeah, it makes just total looping sense. over yeah. and over and over again. So it's, um, I think it's like a primal thing. It's like a scream, mm-hmm. right? So it makes you, you're watching people getting sick. You're hearing the sirens. I don't know. I keep relating this back to migraines. I don't know why David Lynch <laughs> makes me think of migraines, but that's how it feels to have a migraine sometimes, where it's like there's just this intense siren going off in your head and you can't shut it off. Mm-hmm. And then you throw up, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. just this wild ride that that um, that is really perfectly captured. I absolutely love this. I would love to have seen it live. Yeah, I, I wonder think if that would have been would just... reproduce it somewhere. I don't know. That, that would be, be really cool, David Lynch, if you're listening. Uh, and so going with that, I mean, absolutely right. Uh, sailing with Bushnell Keeler. Yeah. You don't even see anything. You start off with this ethereal machine. So know, I, like, I wanted to ask about this because yeah. because it's a home video. Yeah. It's not that none of the sound that is that around is captured. Is, like, you was, don't hear water lapping. No, you don't hear it's all talking. added after. So this how how after was it added? Was it added like when when did that get? added onto the soundtrack. I honestly don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of assume it was just part of it because it just feels like David Lynch. I don't think he would just show silent film. I don't. I mean, the fact that he had an audio component to Six Men Getting Sick yeah. is interesting to me because mm-hmm. he, he, he describes it as wanting to see his art move, yes. but art doesn't have a sound effect. Yeah. But he added it yeah. to that very first one, so I don't think he'd do a silent, silent film. Um, but I don't, I really, I, I couldn't find out a lot about this you looked particular, it up, yeah. I did, and I couldn't find out a whole bunch about it, like mm-hmm. it, it's kind of, and I mean, we, we started, I think the first time I watched this was during the return, the run of the return when um, Bushnell Mullins shows up for yeah. the first time, because uh, someone on Reddit had, had pointed, pointed out, out that, that Bushnell Keeler was this mentor figure to him. Uh, and actually, I think the the boxing photo behind the poster behind Bushnell Mullins' desk was a picture of a young Bushnell Keeler. Oh, he I was an actual was boxer little, too. No, I think that he just put a oh, face put on. Oh, put his face on. Him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just as another little <laughs> Easter egg, I yeah, think. Yeah. I, I read that somewhere. Yeah. I could be making it up, or whoever I read it from made it up. But either way, so this th- that was when I first started looking this this film up, and I couldn't find out like was it exhibited anywhere? Was it just for his own personal use? Mm-hmm. And later it was released. And did he add the soundtrack at that point, like yeah. in the early 2000s, for for whatever reason? But, I mean, I couldn't, I don't know enough. I didn't find out enough yeah, in and, my own research. Yeah, if somebody else out there knows more, we'd love to know, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, but, sure. I mean, uh, as, as we watched it, yeah, the soundtrack is incorporated and it is very, very Lynchian. Like it feels, it feels like modern Lynchian, right? It's it, true. It doesn't feel quite like... The, the the soundtracks, quote unquote, that you hear throughout these early films are more um, musical. Mm, no, fictitious so? Anderson commercial is just like it's this. It's a cacophony it's, of sound, yeah, of but there's but that, there's instruments that are playing and stuff. It's not I, just yeah, wind whooshing, no, right? I yeah, I, but the cacophony <laughs> is that is that dissonance yes. that David Lynch loves and, and it drives your head insane that you need Anison. Like it was sure. still the same effect that he's going for and he's reaching. Right. But sailing with Bushnell Keeler, I think is, is literally just that whooshing the most sound. Part, There's yeah. no instrumental 
yeah, plane. It, uh, agreed. I'm just saying I don't think that necessarily precludes it from being from 1967. No, you're right. It just feels out. It it. Well, especially after watching the, the Return, yes, where that exactly. effect was very heavily featured. Maybe he just came back to it. He's like, you know what, this needs a little Bushnell Keeler. <laughs> you know, maybe that was it. In yeah, his, okay. His head, right? Um, because the other one that was really interesting for me, sound wise, was the grandmother. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The alphabet was really, obviously obviously really big too, especially just when uh, the young woman is <laughs> is singing it. Yeah. Really creepy. Uh, but the grandmother, it has it has themes. It has character themes. Yeah. There's this one really great, just pulsing sound uh, for the boy mm-hmm. when he's kind of at his most vulnerable and sad. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, you know probably three tones. Maybe it goes up and down and back. Mm-hmm. And it is, but it's a very evocative thing. Like yeah. he he's again crafting a very strong sonic oeuvre again. Yeah. Uh, gonna use that word a lot. These early ones. Uh, from a very early time period and uh it's i think it was again he was like credited as the sound guy yeah um but there was a band do you remember or a group yeah it was like music? a I, I don't remember the name of the band but it it was like one name yeah like um, robot or something yeah like something that. like yeah. that um yeah they, so yeah there 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 was like a a quote-unquote soundtrack tractor i did take there you go band. tractor, yeah, tractor. <laughs> so i don't know maybe tractor is a someone who had a synthesizer available at that time because in the seven, 1970 well you would have had synthesizers, synthesizers yeah. would be around but they'd be really expensive probably like uh, uh, but yeah again he's building up this this uh, this suite of, of things and he does it with the parents like you said yeah. when they're screaming at him and yelling at him it's it's very animalistic mm-hmm. uh, when uh, the grandmother's around there's this sweet uplifting music um, and he's he's using that thing of uh, what you're seeing on screen matching what you're expecting and then having a slight disconnect between the sound and the visuals the visuals can be really scary and there's you know heartwarming music or the other way around there's in the grandmother the grandmother not not so much but you know there there is that you know the eerie scary music on sailing and that that's again something he's using over and over again or in uh, you know the fictitious anison commercial um at the very end the guy is smiling but it doesn't like yeah. he's got this this weird toothy grin he's using, but um, I guess it switches to like that that shuffle that '60s kind of shuffle music yeah. that comes in. But um, but after what you've just seen, it's almost like an uneasy rest. You're like, yeah, okay, all right, we're fine now. Okay, we've got the innocent. <laughs> everything's okay for a minute <laughs> until the it's alphabet true. starts. But yeah, um, so there's never you're never really calm. You never really feel calm. No. At any point in yeah. time, yeah. and and that goes with what you're saying about Bushnell Keeler, um, but it do, it goes doubly so for for like an absurd encounter with fear, where mm-hmm. the we haven't talked about that a lot, but no, the, the frenetic violins that are playing yeah. over it that it's really reminded me Threnody. of Threnody exactly, <laughs> yeah. um, and I mean we have we haven't gotten into any of the thematic stuff, but but that one is really interesting to me for its play around sexuality mm-hmm. and innocence versus corruption yeah. that comes with you know bad things happening when sex is involved and, yeah. um but yeah that that uh cacophony of violin you know absurd yeah. violin uh just, yeah, just all over overblown the place. like yeah. just way too much noise 
and yeah, it's just. But it, I guess it is countered by what you're seeing because it's a it's a field of flowers. Yeah. And well, yes, the there's thing. this threatening presence in this this blue man. I should say he's painted blue, he which totally blue, which struck me because I, I mean having just recently read my life my tapes over again which totally separate that's not a david lynch work but there is a man who is painted blue that dale cooper sees waiting outside his window i always thought it's tobias funke but right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah yes the analropist <laughs> that <laughs> would be scary funke. to see out in the corner yeah um, yeah. But it made, it made me think that if maybe Scott Frost watched read an absurd this, encounter yeah. with fear and was like, yeah, let's throw this guy into yeah. Dale Cooper's nightmares yeah. because it fits. But but the wildflowers don't fit with or the placid look of the woman when you first encounter her in that uh, encounter with fear doesn't fit with this crazy violin music. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess there is a bit of a juxtaposition in, in a lot of them. Yeah. In the amputee, there's no music. The no. only thing you have is the sound effects, which is different than than. But you also have the dialogue. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, and those so are dialogue the and this and yes. So you've got this sweet letter that she's writing that it's not sweet, sweet but, but it's, her voice, her delivery is sweet. There's soft, no anger yeah. to it. It's it's Catherine Coulson. She's just you know just very talking, yeah. delightfully reading this this letter about. It sounds like there's you know. Well, it's very convoluted. It's, yeah, it's very dramas. much Roadhouse. In, there, oh, time. yes. Thank you for saying that because it reminded me so much of the Roadhouse conversations. There's just all these characters being thrown in. No idea. No context. Are. No idea how they relate to one another. So you can't really follow along. So no. after a while, you stop paying attention. And you all, just but don't all care. you can hear at that point, once you've stopped paying attention to the letter, yeah. is the oozing from her stumps. Yeah. So it's 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 fascinating the way that you know for it's it's a single shot. Yeah. There's no movement. The camera doesn't move. It's the players come in and, and move in the ca- in within the frame. Yeah. But the story still has motion from the letter to whatever the hell is going on with her legs. Yeah. And and it's a beautiful flow that happens there that is like beautiful? the Yes, I think it's fascinating. It's so fascinating wonderful. is the word, but beautiful is not. I'm I sorry. think it's beautiful. <laughs> I think even the grotesque can be beautiful, Aiden. Oh, okay. I want to cuddle the eraser head baby. Uh, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> anyway, oh, I I just I think that that motion is really important because it's like the opposite of what you have in the grandmother or the alphabet with the the frenetically edited scenes Mm -hmm. here it's a very static scene but the sound is what carries you through and and i think that's so engaging and it and it shows um it's it's great as as growth for yeah david lynch as an artist because it leads into films like eraserhead where the sound is so important well and and where there's that mixture of tracking shots and moving shots and stills where he's just he's just watching the room and you're watching the characters go around i mean you think about the roadhouse sweeping scene. Yeah. It's just, you know, he's there for three minutes. We're just watching a guy doing yeah. nothing. Yeah. That's straight out of the amputee. It's the exact same effect that we're getting. Yeah. Um, but and the music is what carries you. Exactly. Through. You got the Booker T and the or MGs, right? in Eraserhead head with scenes where the, the sound is the same from scene to scene to scene mm-hmm. because it's just, that's what that neighborhood sounds like. like. So yeah. you get a kind of a current that takes, mm-hmm. uh, takes you takes through you that through scene yeah. or, Audio or through yeah yeah and that's um i mean if you would have told me before i got into david lynch or anything that that his sound design would be this important i probably would have just ignored you but now you know having seen enough 
well now almost all of his stuff you you really start to pay attention to it it's something that is I mean, this is why Andreas Hausko is writing all yeah, his, uh, his papers and a whole book yeah. on this stuff because it's so vital, it's so important mm-hmm. to understanding where he's coming from and what he's doing. Uh, you can't, you can't watch a David Lynch film. You can't just without, watch. Yeah, a David you Lynch have film. to yeah, listen to it. To you listen have to, it. to listen to the sounds. Let's talk about themes, baby. Let's talk <laughs> about you and me. I'm not going to sing it, but okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, thematically, obviously, I mean, we've touched on a lot of it, but obviously a lot of it is here that carries on throughout. Yeah. Um, there's family disintegration and, yeah. you know, domestic. The rot underneath yes. domestic bliss. Yes. Uh, or not so much even domestic, domestic bliss. bliss yeah, yeah. Or anything. Uh, Sickness and illness, illness and disability yes. are there right from the very beginning with six men getting sick. Uh, through to the amputee. I mean, these are, I think, every single one of these features somebody in a, in a period or a state of uh, distress or mm-hmm. um, dis-ease yeah. that it, it becomes a central tenet of what you're watching. Yeah. So, you know, when you have um, characters like uh, Harold Smith or mm-hmm. um, Nadine Butler, Nadine... Hurley, yeah. who have, you know, mental illness, the seeds for all of that were planted long ago. So yeah. clearly he has a vested well, interest in... Yeah, I mean, six men getting sick and then there's a little girl in, this, in the car, a zombie, like, rising yeah. up and puking yeah. all over the place. I mean, this is literally the exact same thing. There's no context for either of those illnesses. No. They're just there and it's, you know, in Twin Peaks, The Return, it's kind of obvious that it's going to be... Uh, a symptom of the illness of the town of of what's the evil that's coming for Twin Peaks perhaps is how you want to interpret it here it's just six guys getting sick and throwing up but the the fascination with illness as a portent of bad things generally is is always been there yeah it's not like sickness in a Lynch film is is uh you get sick you puke or you whatever and then you're well there's no wellness at the end except for the anison guy but even then it doesn't feel like it's entirely gonna last right so um so there's no there's no relaxation exactly that's a good way of putting it because six men getting sick just starts again yeah exactly they throw up and then they they appear and they're maybe okay for a second and then they get sick again it's just it's this loop of of illness which is Uh, by design that's not an accident that's how it was how it was crafted Mm -hmm. so it i think that says something about this this fundamental like cycle i guess of sickness but but not even a cycle because there's no wellness it it feels like there's no wellness ever it's true um and even in (laughs) in when you think there's wellness like in the grandmother where you know, things seem like they're okay, but then does the yeah. grandmother die? It's and then what clear. happens to the boy? Does he yeah. die too? Well, I mean, yeah. you brought that up, and I hadn't. Yeah, I, hadn't I, I, I kind of assume because he goes out to the presumably her grave. She's there. He can't see her though, so is she just a ghost? And then her reaction to him, and he does he fall down at the end? I don't even yeah, remember. Yeah, and then it's, it goes back to animation. It's yeah. just very, it's very confusing, obviously, which is you know another Lynch. Hallmark of what the hell's actually going on, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like here there, nobody ever really has a super happy ending in a Lynch film, except for Wild at Heart, maybe. Well, um, and Ed and Norma. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Occasionally, he does give it to characters, and it's maybe that's something. Or Inland worth, Empire, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe you could call it some. Some of the characters some of the might characters, have a happy ending. Yeah. There. Yeah. Blue Tomorrows. Who knows? Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a great one. Uh, the absurd encounter with fear. You brought it up. You know. 
probably his most sexual one, although there's some in the grandmother too. Yeah, I guess um, in, in the sense of procreation, but in like terms of germination more than yeah. anything, it's like asexual well, but, reproduction but that then plants the parents, do. The very first animation did have maybe the parents like intersecting and like there was like red diagrams to draw yeah. a heart or something like that. Um, but it was kind of looked ill. Like sex was like this very kind of negatively portrayed. Well, and it, thing. it wasn't it wasn't portrayed as something natural. It was yeah. jittery and and not pleasant. Mm-hmm. So, not to say that sex isn't enjoyable, but it just seems like in this case it wasn't something that was pleasurable. Yeah, it was just something that was happening. Yeah, and it's it's really you think about like uh, Blue Velvet and uh, Tom Glockland's, you know his sex life and like. It's kind of wait. Tom Glockin, the actor. No, we're talking about his sex no, life because that seems a little inappropriate. I don't remember the character's <laughs> name, but anyways, his character's sex life with you know he he has this woman who's abused and who wants to be hit by him. Yeah, and he's struggling with this. And I mean, generally, I mean, Lost Highway. It's all about adultery and and you know that uh, the the jealousies that that can inspire. Sex is never a positive thing in, in a Lynch movie, really. Um, I will I will push back on that a little bit because because Twin Peaks has elements of sex being just um, you're not punished for being a sexual person like you would who, expect to be. Who is not punished for being a sexual? Well, person? nobody nobody judges Laura for being a prostitute. It's just accepted that she is a prostitute. But she's killed at the end. She's killed, but she's not killed because she's a prostitute. There's other things going well, on she, there. That Yes, absolutely. But so, she is killed. Yes. And the fact that she's a prostitute is there to show how far she's fallen from the good Laura. I would argue that's... he Lynch relies on a very... It's a very kind of like... I don't know, like... Uh, I want to say like Protestant, <laughs> you know, missionary kind of... Uh, morality around sex it's like puritanical puritanical that is the word i was looking for thank you it is it's very much like sex is within marriage and it's for procreation if you do anything else you're gonna have an absurd encounter with fear as he pulls out daisies or daffodils or whatever dandelions dandelions i don't know what kind of flower they are yeah well um you know that's what's gonna happen is sex is is a monster's gonna get you and loom over you until the camera catches him apparently because that's how that weird one ends you know, like, honestly, like, there's there's never much women use sex to control men. Men are jealous of the sex women are having with other people. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a very, sex is a very power dynamic thing, and it never goes well for people who have it. <laughs> yeah. Inland Vampire 2. Yeah. And, and we're seeing it here, too, with the absurd encounter with fear. I mean, why is, why is fear pulling stuff out of his crotch? Because that's where fear comes from. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's a very yeah. No, and I I get I see what you're saying, and I I do agree with that read of of an absurd encounter with fear that it's almost like she's oblivious to this fact. She's still in this state of innocence, but but yeah, he deflowers becoming... his his crotch almost is his maybe how he, how to put it, and yeah. that that's the absurd that's the absurdity, mm-hmm. and it's fearful. And I don't know, maybe we're reading it too literally, well, but no, but I mean. Eraserhead, they have yeah. sex. He has the baby that yeah. is the fear of all things, really, yeah. for him. I mean, Dune. Even I'm trying to remember who who they don't show anything on screen in Dune, if I remember correctly. We, right. we can talk about when we, when we get there, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that you know the 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 hangups about sex that I would argue Lynch shows in a lot of his works is here too. Um, yeah, early on, it's so. it's kind of uh, symptomatic of 
of the era and, and well, yeah, exactly. the society, the culture, right? Yeah. I mean, we're still dealing with hangups around sex. And um, but here's a here's an interesting thing. Lynch was making movies in the '60s, yeah. But he's considered an '80s filmmaker, right? Because right. just like Spielberg and well, yeah, Spielberg. You know, a lot of the baby boomer directors came into their own in the '80s. Yeah. Um, well, Spielberg was more a bit more in the '70s, but uh, so he's a very he has a baby boomer mentality, but he's always been associated, with, in my mind at least, with Generation X. You know, it was the twenty-something kids in the '80s who really loved like my dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He loved Dune. He loved uh, Elephant Man. Yeah. He, he, you know, he loved Twin Peaks when it came out. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he's always so he's kind of been associated in my mind with this very '80s kind of approach to rally which was a little more looser it was still reagan it was still conservative moral majority stuff see when i think about morality in the 80s i'm thinking alex p keaton and i am thinking nancy reagan and you know just say no no, right like that's that's what i think of when i think of you know this kind of conservative well that's where the start of this you know the christian right started from so i So where are you getting that it's looser no, morality? Well, because the '60s is where the yeah, loose morality the 80s, was. Well, yeah, okay, but <laughs> if you want to put a value judgment on it, which I don't, yeah, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that's fair enough. I mean, maybe, maybe that's why he's considered an '80s thing because he has these very uh, specific hangups about maybe. things like sex and drugs are always bad. You yeah. know, even ex- or funny in Jerry Horn's case, you know, stuff like that. So Except maybe, for coffee. Yeah, Caffeine's exactly. Caffeine's a drug. Caffeine's a drug. <laughs> Those are legal. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it's interesting. I don't know. To me, like, well, yeah. The 80s for me, you know, it's also the era of cocaine and AIDS and, you know, teen pregnancy up the wazoo, right? right? So it was always this, you know, uh, on the surface, be pure and innocent and right. super conservative Christian. And then under the surface, obviously, everyone's doing coke off hookers and, you know, betting on Wall Street and stuff yeah, like that, okay. right? So, uh but this is a, you know, he has a very kind of 1950s, you know, morality to a lot of his, his works. So um, I just thought that's interesting to point out that this is, it's all here now in the 60s. And yeah. I think that's worth noting. And it is interesting that, that in a time of quote unquote loose morals, if you want to look at it that way, mm-hmm. uh, David Lynch was a, was a 20 something kid and he's, He's not really fitting in with that yeah. counterculture. No, at all. Even though he is kind of working yeah. within that <laughs> counterculture paradigm, yeah. he's not, you know, dropping out and going and hanging out with the dead and, yeah. you know, hopping on a bus with, you know, the merry pranksters and going on acid trips around the country. Yeah. That's not his scene. No. So He's a Boy Scout. Yes, <laughs> you exactly. Know, he trying really to navigate the 1960s with his own personal views and and maybe that's part of what mm-hmm. he sees and what's coming out through, yeah. through and, his and maybe that's why he became more popular in the 80s as opposed to you know uh, he could have been someone could have seen this in the 60s and been like ah, what yeah, a man. square <laughs> no well yeah exactly they would have thought that but if he had been more swinging in the 60s sure. maybe he could have started his career in the 60s and he would have burned out in the by 72 but you know he became popular in the 80s when right. you know uh, America at, at large was, you know, coming kind of back to a more conservative mm-hmm. uh, moral stance. So, I, I, yeah, I just think that's that's really noteworthy that he's a baby boomer who, you know, was not speaking to his generation. He was going to speak to the generation that followed yeah. uh, a lot more, um, which is just interesting. 
I mean, without getting too far into like you know trying to ascribe authorial intent. Yeah, of course. You know. Yeah, yeah. We are getting a little close to that. Yeah, here, as, but, as you know. But there, but there are themes ever. that repeat themselves that that kind of lend yourself mm-hmm. to think, okay, this is this is a little bit of how he views the world, perhaps. And yeah. So we're we're jumping in there a little bit, but that's yeah. that's okay because we are we're going into all the deep cuts here, so we might as well do that. I feel like I, I kind of want to come back to this. Uh, home life, yeah. domestic yes. uh, situation that mm-hmm. that is present because um, it's not present in every one of the films here, but the grandmother for sure features theme the, that theme which is so prevalent in you know Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet, yeah. that kind of rot underneath the pleasant exterior of yeah. a regular house. Like here's yeah. here's a. A nuclear family that has is not a happy family. Yeah. This is this is not a happy situation. But you just don't know how bad it is until you can get deep inside. And I love that it's it's from the child's point of view. It feels very genuine in that sense that you see abuse from a child's point of view. It it kind of foreshadows uh, what we saw with Laura Palmer that in Firewalk with Me anyway. That it's it's the perspective of the child being abused and being mostly abused by the father. Yeah. As opposed to the, the mother kind of takes a passive role but isn't She doesn't help isn't all. helpful. Yeah, 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 exactly. She's not defending her child. Probably because she um, has Judy inside her. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um so it's yeah. but it's it's interesting that that, that seems to be coming up this early as well too it, it like shades of of laura palmer mm-hmm. um or shades of the grandmother in laura palmer's story yeah um yeah well yeah blue velvet you said i mean yeah it's the alpha the alphabet i think is another one too because yeah. it's it's there is no greater domestic scene than than sleeping i think sleeping is where you feel most safe hopefully I mean, I can't sleep if I'm not feeling completely safe. And that's why nightmares are so terrifying. Mm-hmm. So here's um, this nightmare scenario literally playing out on the screen in front of us. And it shakes your foundation because you, you suddenly are not feeling okay in your own bedroom yeah. or in your own head while you're sleeping. Yeah, it's almost like the idea of a nightmare is the Lynchian yeah. thing, right? Yeah. It's It's something that's rotting underneath... What should be a safe place? Yeah. yeah. Literally inside every person is <laughs> yeah. this, is the potential for this horrible Nightmare. thing. Yeah. yeah. To come in and rot, rot them. Yeah. yeah. Scare them. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. And in this case, it's it's just the ABCs, but it takes on this. <laughs> that well, itself is exactly. also terrifying because yeah. who learns their ABCs? It's little children. Well, yeah. And, and like it's safe. It's, it's kindergarten exactly. classrooms. It's, it's and the it's, safest thing you could possibly learn. Like it's one of the first things you're supposed to be a safe child learning these things. And all of a sudden, it's nightmare fodder. Like, yeah. why? Well, yeah. Something's wrong there. Obviously, you mm-hmm. know. Like, yeah. So it's very. I mean, primal is not maybe not the right word, but it it feels like it. It's fundamental. It's it's mm-hmm. the building blocks have been kind of eroded in a sense. Um, so that's really kind of jarring. I think yeah. it's another thing yeah. that kind of yep. is unsettling about what what you're seeing. And, and again, like you said, with sailing, sailing with Bushnell Keeler, it's yeah, uh, it's everyday mundane, everyday mundane stuff. But but it's that the addition of the soundtrack and the way that it's cut that yeah. makes it uh, makes you question what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and maybe again with the fictitious Anderson commercial as well, because it it's kind of a um, a pastoral setting. 
right? Which was... Yeah, an absurd encounter with fear, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I mean, if you know your TV history, uh, <laughs> which I do. Of course. Uh, the early 60s on TV, you had a lot of this return to the to the farm. You had Petticoat Junction, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, a lot of these um, comedies that were set on in rural situations or with rural people and that was shifting by the end of the 60s you you didn't have as much it was all um all in the family or uh i uh, i don't know my tv as well <laughs> mash well mash maybe is a bit later but yeah it's more you know by days. by the time you had you had the jeffersons and you had oh yeah okay yeah i see um, like urban, very urban, yes, yes. dealing with urban situations. Yeah. Um, and then there was a little bit of a backlash with shows like The Waltons, I guess, and Bonanza and stuff like that that came out yeah. that were that were Going maybe back hearkening to the, back yeah. to that a bit. But but here's this this kind of um, Americana that's being represented here that's different than the Americana that you see in Blue Velvet. It's not picket fences and blue skies. It's uh, pastoral... Mm farmland it's uh earthy people people of the earth literally in the grandmother people coming from the earth yeah but um but so you don't get much more uh i think when you talk about and even to this day quote unquote real americans are the people of the earth they're the people in rural counties and well they lean republican and it's very (laughs) it's it's no but that that is the the subtle that's the undertone of, of a lot of that messaging right is that is that you know real people are connected to the earth yeah and the i mean from 1966 to 2016 when yeah. the return comes up that 50 years huge urbanization i think yeah. you know even in the the 50s was still a fairly even split but by the time the 70s and 80s roll around yeah things have become far more urbanized so i mean it's interesting that yes, we start off with an absurd encounter with fear and the grandmother, you know, having these rural elements. A lot of them are kind of gone. I mean, you've got the small town stuff in Twin Peaks was kind of like maybe a halfway point. Sure. Um, but by the time of the return, there's almost nothing. The only no, the thing first is, episode, you're in New York City. Yeah, exactly. In Las Vegas, yeah. and uh, yeah, like, I mean, you have like your South Dakotas and sure, and stuff but like it's that. Sure. but it's not. Um, this isn't Petticoat Junction. This yeah. isn't yeah. the Waltons. Yeah, they, is, they've really removed that. The only yeah, the rural stuff is now just roads. That's sure. really what it boils down to in in Lost Highway and everything else. Anything outside of the city is now just roads. It's been paved. Nature's been paved yeah, over kind yeah. of thing, right? Which I think for, for Lynch kind of makes sense to uh, examine from this very early stage when America was a lot more rural. Yeah, so so here you have, maybe maybe he saw the writing on the wall already because these are, these are pastoral locations, rural locations that are infected mm-hmm. by this kind of uh, dis-ease, mm-hmm. right? You've got... Um, whatever is this headache that's causing the Anison yeah, commercial guy yeah. to writhe and scream in pain rather than playing his banjo on his porch, <laughs> which is what you think he should be doing. Yeah. Um, you have whatever sexual disease is causing the blue man in a sort of counter with fear to uh, impose himself. Even if she's not aware of it, he's still imposing himself on the woman who should be just sitting picking wildflowers. Yeah, flowers, yeah. Right, like it's very Little House on the Prairie mm-hmm. with this like Children of the Corn, <laughs> yeah, coming <laughs> kind over, of, over, you know, yeah. and it's 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 unsettling, but in a way that makes a lot more sense 
when you put it into context, but would have been, I imagine, very jarring and, and disorienting at the time because there was no there was no context for it. Yeah. Whereas here we have this this wider context of yeah the urbanization of America and Lynch's reaction to that with uh, this return to you know small town American life mm-hmm. and places like Lumberton and Twin Peaks yeah. and uh, Buckhorn, South Dakota. Yeah. Even though there's rot there, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah it's it's against that that backdrop of what should be the ideal, you know, which is still. That small town we're all yeah it, it doesn't get any more American than you know baseball apple pie and farmland you mm-hmm. know amber waves of yeah or logs yeah you know, exactly or something yeah something where you're you're taking from the earth you yeah know? yeah so yeah it's 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 there I mean this is really I didn't thank you for pointing that out I had not really thought about that one at all but it's it's very accurate so yeah yeah it's definitely cool. I think it's it's such a fascinating thing and I hope you guys are watching along with with us as we're as we're doing this because. Um, Getting the context for, for especially for David Lynch's films, mm-hmm. because he's so sing. I think it feels very singular and focused. He yeah. feels very singular and focused. Um, it's so awesome. It's so cool to be able to to situate his bigger films, his feature length films, in this wider context of his of his broader career. Mm-hmm. I'm really hopeful. I mean, even though Mark Frost's career is has taken a different trajectory and started in a different place, and he had a much more commercial um, start path. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. starting yeah. off with uh, Six Million Dollar Man and working in films with, um, you know, his venture with the Fantastic Four. That's later on. But it yeah, is later yeah, yeah, on, yeah, but yeah. I mean, but this is this is kind of the path, and, and he wrote novels, and he's working in a different kind of with a different kind of sensibility. Yeah. So, and different sets of requirements. Like exactly, yeah. David Lynch, as a director, is he's responsible for the entire film. Sure. Mark Frost, as a writer, is responsible for a very small part of, yeah. uh, in a lot of cases, the the TV that we're going to watch and talk about. Yeah. Um, so it'll be it'll be a different analysis. Like here, we can talk about yeah the visuals and the sound and and everything and the themes and everything. Mark Frost is going to be maybe a bit more about technique and you know uh, writing style and dialogue style. And but stuff I do like think that. that we could probably, if we did a whole series on all of his books or something yeah. like that, because that's the closest analogy between yeah. a director directing his films with his vision or her vision, mm-hmm. and a writer who can write his or her novel. Yeah, and um, have novels. Less, yeah, with total control yeah. over it. Very little is given up in the editing process. Yeah, you can still just like, just like a director. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There's some so, but yeah. So it's. Um, I think that would be the closest analogy if we were to compare directly Mark Frost and David Lynch. So maybe we'll have to. We might have to do, have to do a book or two. We might have to do a book. Well, we, we are doing. Um, aren't we doing one of his books? Aren't you doing one of the kid, the teenage? The well, we were talking about that. We hadn't decided on that, but <laughs> no, that I think would we should do it. You reading? A book. I will. I will read it. It's young adult fiction. I can handle. All right. I'll read it quickly. I'm sure you will. So. Yeah. Last thoughts. Last Lindsay? thoughts. Um, yeah. Sorry, I put you on the spot there. Go. I had my last thoughts. Aiden, do you have any final thoughts here? Uh, definitely check out the short films that are on YouTube that we'll link to. Yes. Uh, as a taste. Uh, we You might even be able to find, we didn't look because we have the Criterion DVD. Um, some of them, like The Alphabet, I think, is on YouTube yeah, as well. I think so. Um, but The Grandmother, I don't know if it is because it's, it's probably still copyright. They're still enforcing that probably because it's it's a longer piece. Um but yeah, it's it's they're definitely worth checking out. Um, there a lot of them are quite short. The grandmother 
I was like, oh, 23 minutes after much like six, you know, two minute long ones. It's like, oh, it's gonna be so long. But it, it, it really does have everything. Uh, you know, I, honestly, watching, like I said, if you watched Eraserhead, uh, if you watched Grandmother before Eraserhead, it would just make total sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, Grandmother's definitely, if you don't like Eraserhead like me, but you still want to get that taste of early Lynch, Grandmother will work in a pinch. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Yeah. Next week we are tackling Mark Frost's first appearance in the pop culture world. Well, on IMDb at least. On IMDb, As a writer, yes. he's, his, uh, his first uh, he, writing credits. Yes, yeah. for The Six Million Dollar Man, an early episode of The Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah. So we will be... Two of them. Yeah, two and episodes. We have both, so yeah, we'll So we're going to be both watching both and describing that for you and talking about that and... Thank you again. I guess that's it. We will see you next time on Bickering Peaks. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks. All one word. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.